today we're going to begin to look at uh, what will likely be, I guess, a, a weeks-long look, rather, at the fourth and final component. Uh, one that's likely the most neglected of all of them, at least in our stream of uh, faith tradition, right? It's, I believe it's the reason so many of us begin to try and fail. And it, and it may very well be that missing component in your own life. In a way, every other sermon that we've had in the last, really, four, five, six weeks has been leading up to this. This final and often missing component is the means of our formation. We've talked about the vision and the intention. This is the means, the how. In Romans chapter 6, verse 13, we're going to look at the common English Bible for this one. Paul says this, Don't offer parts of your body to sin, to be used as weapons to do wrong. Instead, present yourselves to God as people who have been brought back to life from the dead and offer all the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do right. Offer your body as weapons to do right. Weapons to do right. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Other translations have rendered this phrase as weapons or instruments of grace or righteousness. Right? Instruments of grace, weapons of, weapons of righteousness, weapons of grace, things like that. It is these instruments of grace that we're going to begin focusing on in the weeks ahead. And right away, I want you to notice the emphasis that Paul places on what? Your body. Your body. Right? Offer your body as. I want you to begin to recognize and understand the indispensable role of your body in the formation of your spirit. Doesn't that sound weird? It does to me. But some weeks back, I introduced you to the concept of thinking as your, of, your, of yourself as consisting of five basic components, right? Your spirit, mind, soul, body, and social context. Or the way Jesus puts it, your heart, mind, soul, strength, and neighbor. Right? I told you that our bodies are the predominant way that we interact with and experience reality, obviously. They are the focal point of our presence in the world. I am here, not there, right? And we spoke of how it is through practice and repetition that we teach our bodies to behave in certain ways to the point that those actions or behaviors become automatic. They don't require deliberation, like walking, shooting a basketball, whatever else, right? Your body can be trained. And I told you we'd come back to this topic of the body in the future, and that's now. <laughs> to learn to offer your body as a weapon to do right. We utilize something that has gone by many different names through the ages, uh, but it's all fundamentally the same thing. I like the term spiritual disciplines. But other folks prefer spiritual exercises or soul training exercises. And, and again, there's 
a lot of different terms that are used to mean fundamentally the same thing. And I'll probably use them interchangeably as we talk about these things in the future. But some of these disciplines you're already quite familiar with. And you perhaps didn't even know that you were utilizing a spiritual discipline. Right? In his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, which is one of my all-time favorite books, by the way, Dallas Willard groups the disciplines into two major categories. The disciplines of abstinence, as you abstain, and the disciplines of engagement, where you are engaged. The disciplines of abstinence should be on the screen for you. They include solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, and sacrifice. Maybe one or two of those sound familiar. The disciplines of engagement include study, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, and submission. In the book Celebration of Discipline, which is probably my actual all-time favorite book, by the way, uh, I've been asked if I, if I could have one book uh, for the rest of my life, other than the Bible, what would it be? It would be Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. End of story. Uh, he groups them as this, inward, outward, and corporate. Inward, outward, and corporate. And as a quick aside, hopefully, having just heard that two of my all-time favorite books are on the subject of spiritual disciplines, hopefully, that perks your ears. This is a big deal, okay? Here's how he breaks them down. The inward disciplines of meditation, prayer, fasting, study. These are all inward things. The, the outward dis disciplines of simplicity, solitude, submission, and service, the corporate disciplines of confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Neither of these lists from Willard or Foster are by any means comprehensive, and frankly, just about anything for you can be a spiritual discipline. In the first week of our uh, apprenticeship group that started on this last Wednesday, we learned about even how sleep can be a spiritual discipline. You're like, sign me up, right? Mowing your yard can be a spiritual discipline. Even play can be a spiritual discipline. Watching a movie. Yeah, for real. It's all in the posture of your heart and your intention, right? So again, these lists are not exhaustive but are simply the, the, the time-tested disciplines, right, uh, that Christians have been using for thousands of years, and honestly, Jewish people before that even. They provide you with a good starting point to begin to understand how the disciplines shape you. Worship team, would you please make your way back up? Thank you so much. So going back to, to Willard's list, the one with abstinence and engagement, you may have noticed something peculiar about your own experience as I rattled that list off. If you're, if you're like most American Christians, and let's be honest, we are, right? You probably found yourself quite familiar with 
the disciplines of what? Engagement, right? And found that you had very little experience with the disciplines of abstinence. Things like solitude, silence, frugality, and secrecy can be, they, they can sound strange to us, American evangelicals, right? While things like study, worship, prayer, and fellowship, we understand, or at least we think we do. And even then, we've probably not approached any of them as a soul-training exercise, right? Or instrument of grace towards our formation. We think of them as things we have to do, right? It's fascinating, isn't it? It betrays our tendency toward doing instead of being, right? And don't misunderstand me. You do have to do the spiritual work to grow spiritually, okay? But how and why plays a really big role in, in their efficacy toward your formation. The same exercise can become for you an instrument of destruction, of death, of evil, if you come to it with the wrong posture and intention, and if you practice it legalistically, right? The disciplines are not a means of salvation. They are not a litmus test of your spirituality. You don't do them to gain points in heaven or favor with God. That's not the point. And if that's what you're after, go back to step one. What they are is merely a way or a means of realizing the intention of your heart toward the vision that you already have of a life with God. Does that make sense? The disciplines utilize our bodies to create space for the scriptures and the spirit to begin retraining our minds and, the will, and, and our wills, right, in the community of the faithful. They are how we open ourselves to the life with God that he wants for us. When we come back from our time of worship today, we're going to examine something that is at the heart of all of these disciplines, both abstinence and engagement, which serves as an indispensable foundation from which the rest of our spiritual formation grows. That scripture has been used many times in the past, especially in the past 30 to 50 years or so, to justify naming things sin, which are not necessarily sin. Perhaps you've, viewed it, uh, you've heard it used to justify drinking any amount of alcohol as sin, right? Pro tip, it's not. What is dangerous, however, is the actual thing the passage is getting at. You are free. That's good. But don't let the exercise of your freedom destroy other people. I may even have some political ramifications these days, huh? 
The specific example given has to do with eating meat sacrificed to idols. And if I can't be sure, then you know what? I'll just not eat meat around some people. And while I think I can make a solid case that yes, there's still plenty of meat that is sacrificed to idols these days, I want you to understand that the specifics that Paul's getting at here are entirely culturally conditioned. It is about the people. The point is self-denial. Yes, you can, but that doesn't always mean you should. The same state of being, that of self-denial, is at the very core of the inner life of God's own self. I believe Jason reminded us of that this morning as well in the giving segment. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, Paul says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Boy, there is a bunch of rich theology happening in that passage that we are not going to unpack today. But my goodness, this is my favorite passage in the Bible, by the way. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. Other passages say, or other uh, translations say, something to cling to. But he emptied himself. Can you see how self-denial permeates every line of that passage? And Jesus himself teaches us, if any want to become my followers or disciples or apprentices, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. In order to follow, you have to deny. You can't have one without the other. To better understand this concept of self-denial, it might be helpful to understand its opposite. What is that? Self-indulgence. Self-indulgence is the unrestrained gratification of one's own appetites, desires, or whims. It is the antithesis of the heart of God and the with God kind of life that we're after here. And note carefully, this does not mean that you cannot enjoy yourself. Far, far, far from it. But even a cursory overview of the so-called seven deadly sins is pretty revealing on this front. Notice how self-indulgence lies at the heart of each of these. Lust or unbridled sexual desire. Gluttony over consumption, right? Greed, the relentless pursuit of material possessions. Sloth or what some may call laziness. Wrath, uncontrolled rage, seeking vengeance, envy, 
the resentful desire toward the traits or possessions of another person. And pride or hubris, dangerously corrupt selfishness. It's interesting, huh? Before the break, I told you this concept is the indispensable foundation for the rest of your spiritual life, self-denial. We noticed how the disciplines of engagement often come so easily to us, but those disciplines of abstinence are often a bit of a rarity. Maybe right now it's kind of obvious why that may be. Self-denial's relationship to the disciplines of abstinence is probably rather obvious. When we utilize the disciplines of solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, sacrifice, we are literally denying ourselves something, right? But while self-denial's relation to the disciplines of abstinence is obvious, it is necessarily inherent to the disciplines of engagement as well. Because, and please, please listen to this part closely, the only way that you can engage is by creating margin in your life for engagement. Put another way, the only way you can engage is by saying no to something else. You must deny yourself something else to create margin. One of my favorite worship songs lately has been uh, Make Room by, I don't know how to say her name, is it Elisa or Alyssa or Elisa? I have no idea. We'll say Alyssa, Alyssa Smith. One of the lyrics says, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. Creating margin is making room for God to do what he wants to. It's how we begin to learn how to surrender all. You start surrendering with a little bit. Think about it. How can you worship, celebrate, serve, pray, or fellowship unless you've made time for it? The fact that you're here this morning means you have made margin for this discipline. How can you practice generosity, whether in your time, your talent, or your treasure, unless you are not already overcommitted in each of those areas? You have to make room. The disciplines of abstinence and engagement go hand in hand. The one feeds the other, and self-denial is right smack in the middle of it. You see? I think in the weeks ahead, we're going to begin to take a closer look at many of these disciplines individually. And I hope it's valuable for you. I know that... Of all of the things I have studied and put myself into and toward in my life of faith, my, my, my seeking of that life with God, that it's, it's been the most valuable thing I've done, right? 